Hey there, we're the Westlot Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowsbo. Um, you know, not to sound like a broken record here, but uh, another game, another disappointing performance, another disappointing outcome. My, my that- face, I just want everybody to imagine... I do not look like Justin Timberlake, but imagine the Justin Timberlake meme yeah. where I'm like, I'm just, I'm just staring mostly at Pat Fitzgerald and his coaches with a WTF look on my face. Here's a little inside baseball for all you listeners out there. That is, that is sadly poetic. Um, we just had a new podcast become our most downloaded podcast of all time and that podcast is the podcast immediately after the ireland game and it it might feel like well of course that would be number one it's had an entire year to accrue downloads because that's how long it feels <laughs> since we recorded episode 499 god my god true? My God. Um, yeah, and here we are in this completely different place, boy. And, you know, like, I'm, I'm looking back at, at Fitz's press conference on Monday and just, like, reading the notes and, you know, reading what Louis Vicaire had to say, you know, in his piece today and, like, how Fitz is just, you know, still smiling and happy and you know, optimistic and it's like, Dude, I mean, come on. I, I, I'll be honest. I prefer that to the defiant, the ship doesn't yeah, need writing right. fits that we got a week and a half ago that I'm, I'm frankly still pissed off about because, like, that's the attitude that led to this loss against Miami of Ohio and their backup quarterback, frankly, in my opinion. Um, so, that, like, like, you know fits on mushrooms and just, you know, super positive. No guys, it's going to work. Like we're going to get there. We got to work hard. We need you to come with us. Like I, like I can stomach that. I can stomach that the stop asking me questions. Cause you don't know football. It's going to be fine. Fits like F off buddy. So I'm kind of of two minds on this. First of all, I mean, you're right. And I will say that, it's it's this crazy duality that is fits because in the moment right like in the moment taking everything else out of the equation and being like well let's say we find ourselves in a situation where there have been some losses and there are a lot of losses on the horizon you that's this is the exact thing that you want right someone who keeps a level head who keeps that positivity who's built that culture that the players really buy in on etc like that piece of it that's what you want Fitz is better that better at that than so many coaches are and that's what's allowed him to kind of have the long haul and make it through seasons in a path in the past etc he has that ability right and he has that magnetism where it's not a divided locker room right guys buy in we know players buy in we know they care He's underpinned the program with such a strong set of values that the values will always be there, and that has the effect. That's all fantastic. But then there are the other pieces of it. Um, One is, as the losses start to to mount up, um, 
no no players are are immune to it. Guys are human. Brandon Joseph said as much in his interview with Louis Vacare after he left for Notre Dame last year. He basically said, like, you can't imagine what this happening week after week after week does to you psychologically. No one's immune to the effects of that. And that's totally true. And as rough as these past three weeks have been, I mean, it's the the hurricane is coming. It's here. And it's about to hit us. And so, and then the other piece of it too is, so Fitz had a quote that came out of the the press conference this week where he talked about, he said, it's no secret we're built to win at the line of scrimmage. Now, part of that, I think, is referring to the offensive line. And in that sense, I think a lot of us are, you know, for everyone who's like, look, there have been times where we've just said, screw it against these weak defenses and gone heavy and it's worked. And then why haven't we just stayed with that? Even if it's not sexy, even if you're only getting three yards at a time. And maybe he's referring to that and and the desire to do that. And maybe that's great. But if he's referring to both sides of the ball, Obviously, there's a huge portion of the Northwestern fan base that's been going to be like, you're just willfully putting your head in the sand because we are in no way winning the line of scrimmage on the defensive side of the ball against these teams, let alone the teams that are coming down the stretch. And I think a lot of people really were rolling their eyes at that. But I think I wouldn't look at it that way. I wouldn't say like it's not a willful, willful ignorance situation. I think a quote like that is meaning like in general, in general, over the years, Northwestern is built to win the line of scrimmage. That's the way that it's been. Dean Lowry, Tyler Lancaster, right? Like the eras of guys past, right? Built to go heavy across that D line and win the defensive line of scrimmage. And like, that's where the toughness starts and it just builds out from there. The problem is that this year we don't have that, right? Not on the defensive side of the ball. And I think that's part of the problem, right? And that's not a problem that's unique to this season, even though there are some problems that are unique to this season. But I think there's that general problem of this program sometimes seems like it turns like the Titanic ahead of the iceberg, right? Just It's just slow turning, right? Yeah, so, so I, like, I, I agree with what you're saying generally. I think the, I think the problem of the quibble I would have, and I think this is what's a, what a lot of the, the commentary from the fan base has been this week, is that sure this program's been built on the defense on the on the line of scrimmage um that's a cultural thing going back what 12 13 14 years um but the last two years we have seen a defensive scheme and personnel choices etc whether that's tied to recruiting development etc but like like there are probably components of development and recruiting, et cetera, but like there is a gaping wound in that, in that cultural legacy that is John O'Neill and his defense, Jim O'Neill, the, like this, this is the problem is that whatever the culture has been, whatever the expectation from the fan base, you know, which obviously like there are ups and ups and downs year to year, you expect that, but, the 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 belief in that culture from the fan base the i don't know benefit of the doubt that they're going to figure it out has been completely washed away by the the poor performance last year and this year on that side of the ball the 
schematic head scratching, some of which we diagrammed out last week in, in specific. And then most galling at all, the complete lack of willingness to address this as anything other than guys got to play harder by, by Fitz who, you know, John, to your earlier point, like he, he stands up as the face of this program to shield players, coaches, whomever, because he's got the biggest stick um, or whatever makes sense. I like, I understand why he does that. He's got the cachet. He's got the history with the school. He's got the record to, to, to do that. But the fan base, us, other diehards, they have lost the faith. And like I said a second ago, I'm, I'm, I can stomach happy go lucky fits. Like that's fine. But like, we need our pound of flesh. Sorry. We're that's where we're at. Yeah. And I think there are, a couple of pieces to this too. One is that I think when you look at the the kind of coaching piece of this, I mean, on the defensive side of the ball, we all know that there are certain things that just can't be changed in terms of like the cumulative injuries on this team. I mean, again, the latest one, we don't know the status. I mean, Coco, who had been hurt, came back in, really showed his worth and then got hurt again. We don't know the status of him, you know, you know, after that point. So, I mean, it's just one more thing, you right. You know, Cam came in, then came out at the end of the game. And we know this is a team that's just been battling injuries so much on the defensive side of the ball, on top of everything else, right? And that I think in that sense, there's a little bit of, of a cap, right? And you can look back and be like, look, knowing what we know now, knowing where this defense is now, there may have been a hard cap on the wins that Northwestern could get this season. And we may be looking at a lot of games where there's um, the margins are going to be substantially wide that, that various coaching decisions wouldn't be enough to close the gap. But on the other hand, there are three losses on our resume where that absolutely is not the case. And whatever yeah, our ceiling I, I just, is. Yeah. I just want to, I just want to emphasize, like we said in our preseason preview, like this was a season we were gunning for six. So like, like, yeah, there was a cap on wins and it was right. probably, it was, it was, squinting to find a sixth win um and And, we have now managed to lose three of those games in succession right and that's the thing was that we talked about northwestern's played about the 112th hardest schedule in the country to this point and it's the 12th hardest going forward from this point so it's like the coordinator decisions and mistakes that have been made are a sunk cost at this point like those three wins like those, you're not making those up like those three losses. I mean, you're not you're not getting those back. And there's that piece of it. So I think the fans are, are kind of mad about that and being like understanding at this point, look, whatever the ceiling was, we are coming in far below that ceiling. And the coaching has a lot to do with that. The second piece of it. And and this is something that it kind of. Well, dub- I, John, John let, let, me, let me interrupt you there just real quick. You know, it's like. You hear a lot of people talking about how. You know, the, the optimist view is very similar to 2018, right? Like, we're, we're, we are we're 1-0 in conference. And if something happens and, like, we rattle off a bunch in a row, theoretically, we could – we still are in it to get to Indy. But, like, that's a big theoretically. And, and I mean, look, it's like yeah. – <laughs> I mean, nothing, nothing ma- would make ma- me more ma- – magic, Magically uh... – no, nothing I, like, would make yeah nothing would make me more happy than being wrong about this but i mean like yeah we're we're not i mean we'll get into the miami of ohio game but 
I mean, of all the ways that game could have broke, it, there are so many ways it could have broke worse for us than it did, um, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. But the other part that I was going to say, though, and this is something that directly dovetails with both the dissatisfaction with the coordinator performance and the dissatisfaction with the glacial speed at which this program seems to address problems and deal with with problems and issues. And that is the fact that I think one of the things that factors into the fan base and the fan base's reaction against the coordinators is the fan base feels a little bit of ownership over a major decision that directly related to one of our Big Ten West titles. And that's the Mick McCall piece of this. And it's funny, I mean, like we, you know, we know from episode 500 when Joe Spivak was on, he took us through everything that those players had to do, the commitment, the unparalleled commitment of that 2020 season that will never be replicated, that those guys dug down all the extra things they had to do, everything, and the piece that there was also like a, you know, potential all-time best Northwestern defense on that team and all those things. And there is a large potential that all of that would have been frittered away to a large extent if we had not gotten Peyton Ramsey to come to this school, which does not happen if not for a decision that it's not that the Northwestern fan base was instrumental in that decision getting made that year. It's that the Northwestern fan base worked for years against the current to get that decision made. And now the Northwestern fans are like, we played a big role in that, but not for us. That didn't happen. So there's there's that degree of ownership there. So that compounds everything. And again, it's 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 all of those things. I think we are confident that there will be changes made at the end of the season. What the level of those changes are, we'll see. Um, but I think the the piece of it now, and then this is the thing, there's all this, oh, so close, close losses, tight decisions, but for this coaching mistake and this coaching mistake and this one turnover here and this and this, and those days are over. Um, yeah, I mean, like, he, you always hear like, oh, were it not for this one thing, this one thing, you know, at, at some point, they're just, you know, these are excuses. And I'm, I for one, am, am sick of excuses. Like we need to, we need to do better. And I'm, I'm tired of the, we need to, like, oh, we need to do better. We need to do better. We need to do better. Where is the accountability? Yes, yes, yeah, you need they, to do better. And who's, who's, like, what's going to happen if you don't? It's college football. Like, yeah, like, yeah, NIL is a thing, but these are not professional athletes. It is college football. Everything stems from the coaches. The coaches recruit, develop, build the depth chart, coach these guys in game or not. Like it all stems from the coaches. And for it to just always be about the turnovers and to see to see other fans, our fellow fans, say things like, well, Fitz didn't fumble those two balls. Good Lord, people. Well, I mean, we'll we'll get into some of the specifics relative to turnovers specific to the Miami of Ohio game because I have some, some specific thoughts on that. But, I mean, just in, in a general sense, and this goes back to the sunk cost that a lot of the coaching and the inflexibility has cost us 
it, that is these three losses. The jury is out on Duke. We're going to see, you know, give it three, four weeks. We'll see what Duke is. Maybe Duke's a good team. Um, I think I looked at their FBI projection. They may top out at seven and five. We'll see if they hit that mark or where they end up. The other three teams we've played are unequivocally bad football teams. There's an FCS team that gave up 69 points to Incarnate Word. Miami of Ohio, whatever they were, went out the window when their quarterback went out the window after week one. Uh, And Nebraska, we know what Nebraska is. These are bad football teams. So all the talk about, oh, one play away or but for this, but for that, it's like, yeah, but for this, but for that, that's over. Because let me tell you, like... I, I mean, I could rattle off a list. We're going to play three of the top five rushers in the nation. We're going to play five of the top 25 rushing offenses in the nation. We're going to play five of the top 25 defenses in the nation. We're going to play a handful of teams that are in the running for the college football playoff. I could go on. Those days are done. It's like the hurricane is here. And all those issues that we were hoping would be corrected or those chances to get little things or whatever, like that's all over. Now we're staring at the giant grizzly bear. Um, and it's just, it's a bummer because it's like they're there. I think there's that feeling within the fan base that an inflexibility and a culmination of a couple of, of, of bad decisions robbed us of, of wins that we're not going to get back. And, you know, here we are. Yeah, I think I, I want to, because I, I don't disagree with anything you've just said, John, and I think we are tr- we are being very realistic about the mountain that Northwestern is looking up at in the conference. At the same time, we've all been watching college football for a long time. We know that th- that these eighteen to twenty two year old players are motivated by a lot. You heard Joe Spivak talking about how different it is to prepare for a team like Iowa who's in the big 10 West than it is to prepare for a team like Duke who is not. And we all saw Northwestern almost take down in Iowa last year in a year where we had no business being in the, in, in that ballpark. Um, but we were able to do it. So like, I, like I want to leave the door open. Like I don't think you're going to see us lose every game here on out 50 to nothing. There are a couple where that might happen, <laughs> but, uh, but, but like con- everyone says this and I, I, during the day on Saturday, you know, with the Northwestern game at night, um, every, every other broadcast I watched, like started with, Oh, it's, it's a conference game and the physicality goes up and this, that, and the other thing goes up. And like you, the tendencies and the knowledge of each other's, of, of each other's plays and coaching styles and all those, all those sorts of things are true. I don't think it allowed I don't think the path is there for Northwestern to make up what they've lost with these these past three games. But I think you will see, I think we will all see a a better performance from the Cats. Um I, I don't think it's gonna result in in more than a couple of wins, but that's just where I'm where my head's at right now. I do want to address the non-conference thing briefly because there is a lot of WTF with the non-conference. Does Fitz not care? Um like what is happening and i like I, I i dug into the numbers a little bit and i don't want to belabor this too much because i think the, the bigger trend and the bigger problem is that like three of the last four northwestern seasons appear to be like real duds and the fourth one is that magical covid year that that like 
certainly comes with some caveats, um, and that is quite concerning for the trend and trajectory of the program. But I, I basically split the Fitz era into two uh, into two sub-eras. One is the era with an eight-game conference schedule, which went from 20, 2006 to 2015. And then the f- six years since then at a, as a nine-game conference schedule. And our record in the non-con in that 06 to 15 time period, Northwestern was 33-7. and seven. That's an 83% win rate. Since we went to a nine-game conference schedule, since the emphasis on the non-con has gone down, which, by the way, also coincided with the time that Northwestern kind of stopped, like, having to scrape and claw for a bowl game every year and and was now more in the mix for the West Championship. Seven and 11. A 40% winning rate. The numbers would indicate that something has changed. Because we like we know that the talent on the team is better objectively. We know that the non-conference opponents have not gotten easier, certainly, or harder. Sorry, I should have said that differently. We know that non-conference opponents haven't gotten harder. Um, but to see that kind of flip in results must indicate must indicate something strategic going on. And we've you know everybody's talked anecdotally about. Going vanilla, not being aggressive. I mean, you look at, you just look at the yards per attempt from Ryan Holinsky, games one and game two versus game three and game four. It has dropped off precipitously. Um, the 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 aggression was missing these last two games. And again, I ain't saying it's going to turn things around for the season and it's going to magically get Northwestern to six wins. I don't think that's possible with what's left on our schedule. But I think there's there's a kernel of truth here that is just annoying as a fan that we can't like go win, go win every game guys. What happened well, to one to know every week? Well, you talk about that, that pivot point, right? But that was six years ago, which again, like we, we are longer in the tooth than many. And that gives us the ability to, what is it? The, what does he say? Tommy Lee Jones says in no country for old men, time will flatten a man. Well, we're all pretty flat. But there are, <laughs> so, and we've lost more years off of our life watching yeah, this team too. Yeah, so fair, but I mean, six years. I mean, for a lot of people, this yeah. pivot point is eons in the mirror and, and irrelevant, a, which is uh, right. And it's irrelevant. I just I only pointed out because oh, I yeah. think it is, it's an interesting quandary. It's just it's just six years is an unbelievably long time to be this bad in the non-con, and yeah. I think the. So, seven and seven and eleven, by the way, is a lot worse than I thought. In in none of those six years did we win all three non-con games, which is also stunning. There are five times that we won all four non-cons in the in the the prior time periods. It's just it's and I mean and those confounding. and those and those eleven. What a what a tree full of peaches. Oh boy. Couple FCS teams, couple Mac teams. A lot of Duke. Uh, a lot of Duke yeah. in there. And, and yeah. yeah, a couple FCS teams, a couple Mac teams, and a lot of Duke. It's not what you want. Um, I'm curious if you guys are, are, are ready to, you know, to get into the Miami of Ohio game, at least in the extent that we're going to, to get into it, to get to the Penn state game. I think. Sure. Why not? (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say, even a lot of you are like, Oh really? I have, they hosed off that dumpster fire yet. 
Scuzz hasn't gotten a lot of sleep this week, so this, you're getting a raw, you're getting a rawer version of uh of me than usual. I think. I mean, Scuzz, you, you probably should have just been at the game because uh, I think you would have slept like a you know, slept like a baby. Oh God, yeah, maybe. It was it was just it was boring. I'm sorry, it was boring. I think. Well, so in kind of getting into it, there's that offense defense piece of it, and <clears throat> I think I guess this is in my personal head. I mean, at this point. I'm just saying, if you look at where the defense is now and you extrapolate and you look what's on the table, I mean, I there's it's not a question of like it would take a miracle for our defense to right the ship. Like I don't I don't think that that's even a possibility. Like I mean, like it's there's there's, there's two. Let's just be specific about it. there's too many injuries at defensive tackle, right? I.e., like Jordan Butler and Jason Gold. Well, Butler, who you know. Awesome to see. He actually got on the field. Yes, he, yeah, he got and on he's the field. on the field. I mean, again, like we don't know but, what he's playing through or whatever. It's, but I mean, I, yeah, right. You're absolutely right. It's good. Tayshon Tayshon Holmes got dinged up in this game. You, you can see him later in the game. He's out there. He's gritting it out. Um, but there's just there's just not enough depth and in that rotation to handle the Penn States and the Minnesotas and the Wisconsin's um, and what they're going to try to do. Right, and we're unbelievably inexperienced in the back seven everywhere right as we deal with injuries in those places and everything too it's just it's a perfect storm of nightmare so on one hand uh, you can look at the numbers and be like well Jim O'Neill like I just don't see how he comes out of this regardless the defense is just going to crater I, I just think it is Mike Bajaki and over the past can, couple of can weeks, I can I just just to inter, just to interject before we get to Bajaki I think I think Greg Colby could have, like was doing more creative stuff with less talent than John, uh, wow. than Jim I mean, O'Neill is right now. Oh, I mean, boy. I mean, again, th- this is all sunk costs and everything. The the drum beat. I, I mean, the Jim O'Neill I just, piece. I just want to. I just want to hammer it home. Like we are calling out injuries, be- and like and like depth issues on the team, but like that does not absolve our defensive coordinator of a horrible strategy for a year and a half running now. Like everybody, please hear this. You're absolutely right. But let me flip that on its head, not flip it on its head, but let me present it to you this way. I'm currently a lot more annoyed at Bajakian because he has way more to work with right now. Yeah, and, that's fair. And that's- <laughs> this is so like, again, it's like on one hand, we were unbelievably lucky that Miami of Ohio only scored 17 points. And we'll get into that. But 14 points with this offense and this talent. I mean, I, you know, and I know a lot of you saying, well, you know, you overrated the talent. A lot of that was based on the Nebraska game. There's certainly issues there, but there, there's the one thing, I guess I would phrase it this way. And this is the thing that, again, we've been much higher on Bajakian than on O'Neill for a long time. And I think we've been kind of in on Bajakian when a lot of people had, had jumped off that ship. But I guess... If I would describe where I am right now, it's a mix of lack of variety in the core scheme. So the core scheme. So in other words, what you're running, your base offense, there's not a lot of wrinkles. You might be saying like, well, what kind of wrinkles would you like to see? You'll see some of the wrinkles from Penn State. Penn State runs a lot of just within the running plays that they run out of formations very similar to what we run. They run several incredibly effective running plays we don't run. Wait till you see this terrifying toss counter that they run uh, with their ridiculous true freshman running backs. And we'll we'll get to all that. But 
a mix of that with what and I can feel you all nodding preemptively before I even say this part. <laughs> what we'll call cute Jake. Oh boy. This is something that has reared its head for years now. Um and, and it was it became this a was, thing, especially last season. It, this was a problem in twenty twenty as well. Yeah. And he suddenly drives will short circuit because of gadget plays or crazy formations you've never seen before that show up and don't work. It happened multiple times last game. We talked about suddenly seeing that heavy eye formation with the direct snap we've never seen before that blew up a drive. In this game, the Malik Washington fumble, we all remember the fumble. That play should have never gotten to the point where he fumbled. It should have been a six-yard loss on a play that was DOA because on a drive that was moving the ball down the field, we suddenly inexplicably ran this crazy motion play where Andrew Clare ran into the flat where the screen pass was going to be thrown um, and effectively took the entire defense with him I don't know. You that watch was so strange. It, it was, was so you, strange. You watch all the linemen pulling out there, watching the defense run across their chests because the defense read it. It was, and that you're all being like that. That's not the only example, right? We've seen so many examples of this where you're like, there's, it's like a lack of variety baked into the normal scheme where you're like, boy, I'd like to see more pulls. I'd like to see more counters. I'd like to see more of like a dynamic, you know, up until this season, we were like, where are the throws to the tight ends? Right. Where like these tight ends were all on the roster last year. Right. And we're seeing more of this this year, et cetera. And the mix of that with then suddenly these gadget plays and these cute wrinkles will show up. And it's, it's kind of, it's maddening. And again, those are the kind of things where, they're not going to make a heck of a lot of difference against a Penn State probably, but in a game like this, you have that thing where it's been for several years. It's like, boy, Northwestern seems like they're moving the ball at the beginning of the game, but then that doesn't turn into points, and suddenly we're finding ourselves in a dogfight at the end of the game. And it's like there are any number of reasons why. The players are at fault for part of it, but this is a huge piece of it too. And these are the things that I think have, have fans pulling their hair out, and there are the things that are leading – to fans calling for changes. And I think the, you there, know. there was the, during, during McCall's time period, I think like the, the most common complaint I think that we heard was the lack of adjustments at half, you know, Northwestern might come out and do some stuff and then to get into the second half and they couldn't score, couldn't move the ball, would just throw the running back into the line. It was, you know, very vanilla turtle shell, no creativity with Bajakian. It, it's it's not the adjustments it's that they stop it's that they go away from stuff that works and in really confounding ways so like i i felt like and i haven't gone back and watched the tape so like take this with a grain of salt but i'm i've said it in a bunch of different forms now and, and pretty much everyone nods when i do like i swear to god so early in the game northwestern is running the ball is it, we're not running the ball much we're throwing the ball a lot and the announcer's comment on Holinsky is just taking what the defense gives him. If they put a lot of guys in the box, he's throwing. If they don't, he runs. After the third drive, I swear to God, we stopped counting box defenders. Nine guys in the box, run the ball. Two, two high safeties, pass. And I just, like, I don't understand what the hell we were doing. Because, like, typically, if you have two high safeties, 
you should have more opportunity to run the ball because there's one less guy in the box. If there's a single high safety, that means your deep outs, which by the way, like Holinsky was throwing pretty nice deep outs, like Kurtz caught one. Um, Washington caught one on that, like, I think it was like a third and 15. Um, those things work really well. And like, you can take what the defense gives you and still be, you know, creative and a little misdirection, you know, those sorts of things. But, um, but it's like, it, it, it's like we get in our own head and start and start to insist, oh, well, well, no, we have to do it this way or we have to do it that way. And then we can't, we can't, we, we, we scheme ourselves into a corner and then have no options. And it just, it's, it's so confounding because there's so much talent. Like we see the tight ends in the early game and then they disappear and then maybe show up again in the fourth, in the fourth quarter a little bit when we're desperate. And I just, I like, there's like a, it's, it's, it's like our brains turn off and I don't like, I can't tell you if it's because we put the real playbook down for the vanilla playbook because we're up, you know, 14, seven against an FCS opponent. I can't tell you if that's why it is. Um, that never really happened in this game. So I can't like, <laughs> that, that's probably not true, but, um, like, I, I, I don't know the why, but this is just, this is just what it feels like. And and then as the game goes, like we just, we're just feeding the other team confidence on the defensive side and allowing them to get more and more aggressive and dictate terms. And I think part of that is just the entire style. I mean, when, yeah. when all you're doing is, is running, you know, you're running the ball. We're trying to shorten the game, but you know, if you have a drive like stall out, uh, you know, on the on the thirty, and you don't have a kicker who's who's got a big enough leg to kick a fifty yarder, or we you know have a, a long drive like stifled by a turnover or something like that. When we're not complete, we're not finishing drives. We're also cutting down the clock, so a a team can just kind of linger. And it felt like you know, yeah, we were up on Miami for most of the most of the game, but like they were lingering. And, you know, John, we were sitting in there and looking at their running back. who's was like, this guy is slippery. Like, he's going to, like, we were saying all game, he's going to break one. And then 66 yards later, he's like, yeah, we, we saw that coming the entire game. But, like, because we've been so conservative, because we've, you know, slowed the, you know, we've shortened the game so much, there's not enough time to, like, crank it back up. This, this strategy works great against Nebraska. We said going into the Nebraska game, if Northwestern can keep it close, going into the fourth quarter, they're going to tighten up and we're going to have confidence. We're going to be able to knock them out. Well, guess what? When you're a big favorite, don't let that happen. Right. And 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 the piece of it, too, is I, I hate the narrative about turnovers because, A, one of the turnovers came at the very end of the game and ended the game. And the other turnover, like yeah. I said, was on a play that the drive was over anyway. That play was a dead-in-the-water play to begin with. So I'm like, really, I'm looking at like inability to move the ball. And then over the, the past two games, there have been these three drives where we have smashed the ball down our opponent's throat and marched all the way down the field and scored touchdowns. And that those three drives seem to exist on like islands separate from everything else that happened in those two games. And it's like, this is not a situation where we broke a 60 yard run and then went back to getting stuffed in the line. It's like for three drives in the last two games, we rammed it down our opponent's throat and scored a touchdown. And then those that just was abandoned. Um, I think I can't, you know, I can't believe Cam Porter only got seven effing carries in a, in a, in a game against an FCS <laughs> opponent that, that ended 
with a three-point differential. How is that possible? I know. And I think the other part of it, too, is the passing game piece of this, and this is kind of like a Holinsky piece, and this is something that I think relative to the offense has me a little bit nervous, is I think over the past couple of years, we've been used to quarterbacks um, losing the plot relative to accuracy, and suddenly they start spraying the ball and guys are getting overthrown or whatever. And Ryan Alinsky is just not that guy. He tends to throw a pretty accurate ball, but he does force balls into coverage. And you he see can, some... he can get he can get high when he's when he's under pressure. He tends to release it a little bit early. The ball goes high. A little bit. That, that can create tip drills. Right. So you have that, and then you have tip drills, and you have like balls being forced into tight windows and things like that. And and I think those are problems that are going to rear their head. And taking it back to, I think, what we've been talking about with this non-con is like, but the one thing we had the ability to do in the past couple of games is just be like, well, screw it. Then we're just running. Then like heavy, three yards a carry. At the end of the day, we've got an NFL left tackle and they're a Mac football team and we've got two great running backs. And we're just, if it has to be, if we have to grind three yards a pop, we're grinding three yards a pop. And the maddening thing is that there have been times in these games where we've been like, all right, screw it. That is what we're doing. And then it's worked. And so, and I think part of that is, is again, it's like, do I think that any of this has much bearing on the games that are to come? Not really. It's more just like, these are the things that I think would have helped us get get this game. And that's the the maddening piece of it. Because on the flip side is the defensive piece. And, I mean, look, I know we won total yards. I know Miami of Ohio had 278 yards. But this is, Miami of Ohio is an awful offense. I mean awful. They came into this game something like 105th in the nation, and those numbers are a lie because with those numbers, they have the first game when they had Gabbert. They have a quarterback who can't hit the broad side of a barn. He has, I think, nine completions in the game before ours and then seven completions in our game. He can't throw downfield. And there were, I mean, <laughs> this this game was as close as it was because several wide open receivers when I say wide open I mean uncovered receivers were missed by a country mile down the field there was that one play Sammy where the moment the ball was snapped I literally grabbed you and put my head down on your shoulder because I couldn't watch what was about to happen because they were about 45 yards out and there was just a guy uncovered streaking down the right sideline and their quarterback, Smith, just missed him. He threw the ball 10 yards out of out of bounds. And then there was that other play late in the game that was a combination of another horrific throw that was horrifically late and Cam Mitchell making a heroic play to save what probably would have been potentially the game-ending score. And there were a couple of those plays. So that was happening through the air. And then there was the running piece of it where, I mean, we talked about Coco earlier. <clears throat> On that 66-yard run, Coco kind of took a bad angle, missed the tackle, and it was a 66-yard 66 66-yard 66 run that put them inside the five. But that is the exact upside-down way to be looking at this. Coco had nine solo tackles in this game, and at least half of those 
saved what would have been other 66-yard runs. And the entire game, Sam and I are sitting, watching Mosey carry the ball, and every time we're like, I mean, we were having this discussion. He's breaking one. It's just a matter of time. He was going for 9 and 10 and 12 and 12. Without that 66-yard carry, he had 21 carries for 105 yards. That's without the 66-yard carry. Um, and you could just see it happening. And the perspective you need in this situation is <clears throat> Miami of Ohio, the, the most rushing yards any running back had had in a game for them coming into this game was 65 yards. As a team, they had something like 67 against Cincinnati. The second most yards a running back had had in a game for them this season was 52. Okay, they'd average something like two point something yards a carry against Cincinnati. This is a horrific rushing team that had a back go for 171 yards and eight something yards a carry. Okay, so it's like this is what we're working with right now. There was one play. It's not I mean, again, I'm not going to mention the player. I'm not going to mention the situation. Just that there was one key play in this game where we had a defensive lineman who was moved out of the hole the play went through in such a way that he, for a split second, was airborne as he was being moved out of the way. That is where we are right now. And that's Miami. And we're still, it seems like, searching. We spent the the first four games being like, well, is there a level of offense below which we'll see the defense can stop this level? On the ground, like they can get the stops with this. And instead, we just are still looking for that. And we never found it because this horrible Miami of Ohio offense was able to move the ball on the ground. And again, those days are good done. And now the, the terror is coming. And I, I do want to you know, move on past this game um, and, and talk about this weekend's game. Uh, Scott, did you have any anything else to add? Yeah, there's one more thing that we need to call out. And that okay. is um, our special teams coach. Um, because yeah, they moved the ball on us and they scored a touchdown and kicked two field goals and those drives, well, scored a touchdown, kicked a field goal and then missed two field goals. Um, and those drives were all, you know, 50, 50 yards plus, but, uh, they also scored a touchdown that, you know, without this, they would not have won the game. And that was a two play eight yard drive off of a blocked putt. It's kind of mind-boggling. This generally hasn't been a problem for Northwestern in the past, but, like, we had two blocked punts in this game, right? Yeah. Um, And when you marry that with all the kicker problems of the last two years, and um, I can't say, like, I think our our kick return game with with Nairo hasn't been bad, per se, but um, I can't say our— We we can fair catch with the best um, of them. I mean, these aren't these aren't the halcyon days of of uh, Jason Wright and Noah Heron returning kickoffs like gangbusters. Um, Jeff Jennings not done a great job with the special teams, and I think like in our darker moments on Saturday, we you know um, like at the end of the season, it feels like a fits. We like we got to start from scratch, kind of across the board here. Um, I really hope we see a lot of improvement from all of these units as we go on, but like. That's the state of affairs right now. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. 
After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Simpson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Simpson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. Go to SimpsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation and go Cats. So as we look ahead to this weekend's game on the road in Happy Valley against the Penn State team that's uh, really been firing on all cylinders. This is uh, this has all the makings. Oh, uh, let me let me counterpoint to you, Sammy. This is a Penn State team that isn't always firing on all cylinders, and that's the terrifying oh, yeah, that's, thing that's, that's about fair. this team. That's fair. That is fair. They, uh, yeah, I was going to say, I don't, I, I don't they, think they are firing on all cylinders. The the cylinder they can fire, though, is like the one that's a problem for us. I, I was, I was, I mean, like their their ceiling is terrifyingly high, and and this is the thing. I mean, again, bef- in the pod before last game. We did everything we could to compartmentalize and try to put this on the shelf because at that point we'd seen the Auburn game. We'd seen what Penn State had done to Auburn and we knew what was coming. And again, it's like this is this is the beginning of it. This is the beginning of the freight train. That's See, been- well, yeah, I, 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 I don't disagree. Like, quote unquote, what Penn State did to Auburn Oh well, well. Mm. I mean, Auburn's not good. Well, yeah. Pe- I mean, Penn State. Penn State put a very like appropriate beatdown on Central Michigan. We know that their running backs are really talented, and I don't see a path by which our defense can force them I, to throw, which is the more problematic element of their of their offense. Well, for sure, and I think that's the whole thing about the off the firing on all cylinders thing. There's a class of teams, chiefly Michigan and Ohio State, uh, that Penn State's going to have some trouble with. And there are a couple of issues, and, and some of those things showed up in their first game against Purdue. But if you are the kind of team that is not rolling a strong defense on the field, this there are few teams more perfectly constructed to eviscerate that. And... And again, this is the thing. We talked about this this freight train steaming at us across the conference schedule and how good so many of the teams left on our schedule look right now. And Penn State is is one of those teams. And I think they're on both sides of the ball. It's fascinating because, again, aside from Ohio State, the amount of raw talent at certain positions on this Penn State team, okay? Like on the defensive side of the ball, they are young in places, prone to mistakes, sometimes against the run game. And if you're looking for any kind of a silver lining, and honestly, I'm not really selling you a silver lining here. I'm just saying, if you're looking for anything, I guess I would put it there. Um, they also have, by far, the best defensive tackle we've faced this year, the best defensive end we've faced this year, the best middle linebacker we've faced this year, the best cornerback we've faced this year, and the best free safety we faced this year. This team is stocked on the defensive side of the ball with guys who are going to play uh, on Sundays. P.J. Mustafer is arguably the single player in the country 
I wish we could put in purple right now. He is a 6'3", 335-pound, run-destroying monster who's going to be a high NFL draft pick at defensive tackle. Um, and they have Manny Diaz, who, again, like I'm almost a little bit glad that Miami of Ohio showed us some pressure packages um, because Manny Diaz pressures like a lunatic. He tries all kinds of stuff. And in the ability to bring pressure from wherever he wants, he's helped by the fact that he has Adisa Isaac, a terror at end, who gets loose. You know, like like not being able to double that guy is a terrifying proposition. But again, this is like, it's like apples and race cars. Like the degree of what's on this defense compared to everything we've seen so far is just, I mean, this is the kind of thing that we're talking about. I mean, they're... We haven't played a team yet this year that like Penn State is going to be like Malik Washington, Joey Porter Jr. covers Malik Washington all game and he's going to press cover him at the line of scrimmage. And that's just how we're getting down because we've got an NFL cornerback on our team. We haven't played a team like that remotely this season. And I mean, it's like it's the difficulty to say the difficulty goes to another level. Does It doesn't even cover it. So I like, I don't know, at the risk of of at the risk of incentivizing everyone to not watch this game because I think the, the the picture you painted there is pretty pretty bleak John and, and it's this is a this is a tall order I don't think any of us have any um I don't think in our wildest imaginations where we can't come up with a way for us to 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 beat Penn State um on the offensive side like Sean Clifford has not been great throwing the ball this year he had some struggles with Purdue um against Purdue and Auburn uh, I felt like Penn State's receivers um benefited significantly from missed tackles. Um, so if there's anywhere that Northwestern can like try to cover self, itself in a little more glory, it's that's, that's where to do it. But um, the problem is, is that their running game is. It's just, it's, 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 it's impeccable. <laughs> it, it is. And, and the thing is, I would say, and I think because you'd probably agree with me on this, that their offensive lines, not impeccable. Like it's not, the most elite of the league offensive line. And you can look at Purdue, a seemingly so far this season, quite good defense and be like, okay, so there's, there's, there's a certain level. And this is where like, okay, so like a Michigan or like an Ohio state when you know, like Ohio state's got a great defensive line, Penn state's going to run into some problems when, but it is absolutely an either or proposition. If the offensive line can handle a defensive line, like Scus said, I mean, these backs. So for everyone who doesn't know, Penn State has two true freshman running backs. And these true freshman running backs have been something of a revelation for these guys. Um, it's on one hand, you have Katron Allen, who is a big time recruit, uh, a high four star guy. And in terms of like raw talent, just by himself, Probably the best running back Northwestern has seen so far this season. He's a very patient runner. He's kind of like a bowling ball type of back. Um, he finds the holes. He's great at cutbacks. He's, you know, he's great at being patient, working with these toss counter concepts and pulling linemen that Penn State likes to run either out of shotgun or under center. Um, and cutting back and finding these holes. He had great success with it against Central Michigan. He's no fun. The other running back they have may contend for a Heisman Trophy someday. Nick Singleton is, I mean, he's 
absolutely terrifying. He's incredibly young. He was a monster recruit, a five-star recruit out of central Pennsylvania. I think he was the number one recruit in the state of Pennsylvania. He's very young. I mean, again, he's just as young as Allen is, but he's way less patient. And he misses holes. He missed holes like five times against Central Michigan, which is kind of exacerbated by the fact that Central Michigan insists on, in a very, very straightforward way, rotating these guys possession to possession. Regardless of what's happening in the game, one guy's running back one possession, the other guy's the running back the next possession. So if Singleton's missing holes and he finds himself getting stuffed at the line a couple of times, he may not see the ball for like another long time, especially if Sean Clifford's being given the chance to throw the ball. If there are holes that are large enough where he can just get through, he's gone. There's no He either gets tackled at the line of scrimmage or he scores touchdowns. It's not an exaggeration. He's averaging 10 yards a carry this game, this year. In, he has a game where he's averaging 17.9 yards a carry. He has another game where he averaged 12.4 yards a carry. There's no tackling him. Watch the Auburn tape. If you don't hit him at the line of scrimmage, he's just gone. And this is what we are dealing with. So it's like the, this is where, I mean, Penn State's, I went back and checked. They're the biggest favorite they've been against us in at least 25 years, which is as far back as I could look. Um, and 26 and a half points yeah. as, it, as it sits right now. Yeah, 26 and a half, which is as, as big as it's been. That's why. And on one hand, I think you could say, I mean, someone was batting around a projection that there's some metric that's saying we're going to score like 2.7 points in this game. Well, yeah, I mean, the our running game is got the talent to hit them. And again, to the extent they have any weak point, they have really young linebackers and a couple defensive linemen who aren't PJ Mustafer and Adisa Isaac who have a little bit of problems. So it's like, you know, ground the ball, get a couple of points, get a couple of get a couple of touchdowns. I can see us easily breaking into double figure points in this game. On the other side though, I I don't see how Penn State doesn't score when they have the ball. I I can't see it. And that's what we're looking at. So, so yeah, I mean, like, we'll watch the game this Saturday and, and see what happens and see what we can uh, pull out of it. And, you know, hopefully we'll have, we'll have something uh, positive to take into homecoming the week after. Um, real quick, I, I don't, I don't want to go through, like, the entire schedule, uh, but just kind of wanted to mention some of the other Big Ten games going on this weekend. If there's any uh, – we're in full conference – season now so it's nothing but conference games now if there's anything you guys want to like touch on as, as i zip through these uh let me know uh we got michigan at iowa michigan's a 10 and a half point favorite on the road yep uh purdue at minnesota minnesota 12 and a half point favorite at home minnesota uh, it looks john good. yeah yeah that purdue date defense ain't gonna be looking so good after this i game. i i mean i i I guess we'll see. And I think it'd be hilarious for, for me to say this and then immediately have us look like idiots. I'm just, Minnesota might be one of the best teams in the country. We have no reason to believe otherwise. And not only might they be one of the best teams in the country, but they have the ability, I called it the the Ibrahim vacuum chamber, to take all the oxygen out of a game. And if you think they can't do that against like an Ohio State or a Michigan, this is what they do. They like you think they can't get three or four yards a carry against those teams? Like they it's so it's like it's not just that they're kicking the crap out of everybody. 
it's that they have such a clear identity of the way that they want to do it and they execute it perfectly. And I, I wouldn't want anything to do with this. The team. return of Kirk Shiraka mm-hmm. has brought them right back to where they were in 2019. It's, it's, it's quite amazing. Uh, Tanner Morgan is like a new person. His stats look like they looked in 2019. Um, that's a year, by the way, they knocked off number four, Penn state. Um, they did lose to both Iowa and Wisconsin. So like there's a step up they got to take, but like their RPO game, their, their offensive line, their running game. I mean, they, they destroyed Michigan state, Michigan state rushed for 38 yards against Minnesota. And, got completely annihilated on the other side. I mean, this game would have been, I think, 38 nothing, but for a, like, Minnesota put out their third-string defense for the last 90, 95 seconds of the game. Right. Um, in East Lansing. Yeah. Destroyed. They, I mean, they. Sh- it's a, it was a joke they weren't ranked last week. It's a joke they're 21st this week. If you think it ain't laundry, I don't know what to tell you. I, I also think it has something to do with that... Um, that frosting that's still on their mouth from the cupcake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. New Mexico state, Western Illinois and Colorado. Who boy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, not, it's, it's not true. the murderer's row. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but, but to go, but to go to Sparty land and yeah, that that's, that's very telling. Absolutely dominate mm-hmm. that team, not just on the scoreboard, but physically, emotionally, like this, this, this Minnesota plays Penn state in three weeks. Fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating. And- Advanced metrics have them as something like the 11th best team in the country right now. Like they're, I, you know, I can't wait to see what they're going to do. I mean, not, not against us, but I can't wait to see what they're going to do in general. Uh, we got Illinois at Wisconsin. Uh, the Badgers are a seven point favorite at home. Brett, Brett bowl, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is, uh, a, a game between, and it is never going to stop to suck to say this two of the best defenses in the country playing in this game uh including ryan walters impressive job down in champagne uh ruckers at ohio state ohio state a 40 and a half point favorite yeah 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 i think uh, yeah they, they will they will start scoring and never stop uh, Michigan State at Maryland. Uh, Maryland coming off a really good game at Michigan last week. Um, Sparty comes to them, you know, after getting curb stomped by Minnesota. Maryland is seven and a half point favorite. Yeah, I think Talia gets his, you know, gets his due and earns it in this game. I think, yeah, things are things are kind of rapidly snowballing for Michigan State. We should mention Maryland as as good as Michigan is, as great as we've talked about what their ceiling is. Maryland lost this game by seven because they took the opening kickoff off the guy's face uh, and Michigan recovered it and scored on the next play. That was the difference in the game. It was level the rest of the way. Well, Michigan State has one of the worst secondaries uh, again this year, and Maryland's got great receivers and Talia Tungabaloa. So, yeah, it's going to be a long day for the Spartans. And then under the lights in Lincoln, Nebraska, you've got 3-1 and one Indiana at 1-3 and three Nebraska. Nebraska five and a half point home favorite. So I am like I do not subscribe to the Nebraska is a horrible football team theory. I think Nebraska was a horribly coached football team with a with a tremendous amount of talent, and I am fascinated to see what Joseph has been able to pull together in the last two weeks um, against a really up and down like all or nothing Indiana team with not a great D. Like I like this is going to be very interesting. That line is 
completely normal to me. With you know, after firing their defensive coordinator too, the week after they fired yeah. Frost. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I will say I I feel bad. I mean, I'm glad Indiana's three and one. They've won a couple games by the skin of their teeth. I do feel bad that they no longer have their world-beating quarterback, Penix, who has gotten all <laughs> of his mojo back out on the West Coast. And, and then is, is, take, is I mean, taking Oh, my ups. God. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, he and Indiana were always a great match, but I think when he left, it was kind of go with God because the poor guy had been hurt so much, and then miraculously he, he put it together. So, I mean, I you know— if if it had to be a part, it had to be a part. But it it I do feel a little sad for Indiana. They don't have that weapon right now. Uh, nationally, there's a bunch of interesting games. Um, if there's anything that's you know kind of sticks out to you guys, we could talk about it. Otherwise, not really. So other otherwise, we'll just go ahead and, and leave it there. Uh, any final thoughts before we go? I I just feel like this has been such a negative podcast, and I I. I think we acknowledge it. We know that that's, I mean, that's just where we are right now. I mean, I think I doubt, you know, we know you guys, I don't think you guys begrudge it. We just don't like having to be negative this much. I mean, I guess I'm going to say personally that there are going to be a lot of games this season, but that because just of a raw look at the lay of the land, in a sense, we have nothing to lose. That includes this game. Um, I'm going to be tracking, you know, by necessity, we're going to be playing a bunch of young guys, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and continuing to look for growth, right? Looking for growth, looking for guys who find a way, right? There are going to be guys like a Theron Johnson, you know, right? Um, like some guys who have really, even our linebackers, even like a Xander Mueller, right? Where these guys have, have not had that many reps in their career. And now they're getting a massive learning experience in Happy Valley in a big time atmosphere. And those kind of reps will really pay dividends, you know, down the road. Yeah, I think I think you're going to hear us shift much like we did last year, but shift to more of a, um, you know, tracking the development, the growth, uh, the 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 potential of 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 players as we move forward because the 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 corpus of wins we need this year probably just aren't going to come together. Um, that's just right. the, that's just where we're at. So right. I mean, we talked about the, the idea of sunk cost, you know, the sunk cost and some of the the, the problems with the coordinators and everything. Well. To an extent, too. I mean, I think, you know, complaining about it is going to become a sunk cost, too. Like, we're going to have to find positives and find other things to focus on. Do not worry. They're, you know, the, the athletic department gets it. Like, you know, things that you want to see happen are most likely going to happen at the end of the day. But now I think it's it's finding other things, finding positives, even if those positives are individual accolades and individual steps guys are taking in big games. By the way, my uh, my original idea for this podcast that I pitched to you guys was either <laughs> to like talk explicitly only about the Northwestern women's soccer team, which by the way is ranked number eight in the country, has Love a it. has a very gettable Big Ten schedule in front of them. Like you're looking at a special season for this team this fall. If you need a winner to root for, like get on board that wagon right now. Um, and field hockey too. Yep, field hockey is back as well. They did lose to Iowa the other day, but they're still in the mix for um, for all the glory. Um, they, they dropped from number one to number two in the country. I mean, so still, I yeah, I actually want to tack like a little bit of an apology. This is a personal apology. Um, Scuzz has been on a lot of this stuff really heavy and has been doing a great job with it. I just I'm so I, I apologize to these phenomenal fall sports teams that I'm just like. It is football is just such a 
a massive thing, right? It's just this massive thing that has this massive gravity to it. And it's just, I in the spring, it's so much easier to spread ourselves out and spread everything that we do out and hit all the different sports. And and it's, it's by way of apology, just for me personally, being like, it's difficult for me psychologically and emotionally to spread myself out all through all of these things in the fall. And um, honestly, like the, you know, the ladies across these different sports like field hockey and soccer deserve better for me because the performance has been incredible. Uh, so with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Pirates, and email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics and look for us in the west side of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. John LaCombe and Eric Skousby, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.